Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. This episode is brought to you by the Carnivore Bar, an ancestrally inspired meal replacement bar. It has simple ingredients, beef, tallow, and salt. It's shelf-stable, it's portable and convenient, it's great for hikes, long business trips, traveling, or just an easy, ready-to-eat option to have in your pantry. It's the perfect combination of crunchy and creamy texture. Go to carnivorebar.com and use code CARNIVOREcast to save. Thank you. Jeff Smith at Colorado Craft Beef is a co-owner of Colorado Craft Beef with his wife, Kara. Jeff is a veteran of the cattle and food agriculture industries with a wealth of knowledge about the practices, supply chain, and economics of beef and other animals. Jeff has been on the podcast multiple times um, to talk about being a modern-day cattle rancher, grass-fed versus grass-finished, and a lot of other very interesting topics. So make sure you check those episodes out if you haven't already. Um, Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Yeah, good to see you, man. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so I wanted to start just hear how you're doing and and maybe get an update on Colorado craft beef. Sure. And I'm uh I couldn't complain if I wanted to. You know, uh both the girls are healthy. Emma is almost three and Addie just turned one about a month ago. Wow. Uh and uh I'm happy to share that with the carnivore diet. Uh Emma was born in November of 2019. And I've shared the story on your podcast before that I was holding her in the hospital and I was like, man, I'm going to be 55 when she's 18. And I looked kind of down at myself and I knew I was overweight to begin with. I'm like, I got to do something about that. Uh, And here we are almost three years later and I'm down a combined 90 pounds. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I was back in my hometown in Oregon last week and I had four or five different instances of people that I'd say hi to one, one person individually, uh, Tracy babysat me when I was a kid. And I walked by her and said, hey, Tracy, how are you? And she kind of gave me a funny look and then chased me down about 30 seconds later. She's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't recognize you. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's a life-changing amount of weight. How do you feel? (laughs) Uh, You know, I feel better than I really knew possible. I didn't realize how bad I felt Um, because I've always been active. You know, as a rancher, you don't really have a choice. Uh, but, you know, if we're branding cattle or we're doing other work around the ranch, like I move better, I move easier. Uh, it's not near as hard on me. I'm sleeping better. I mean, just all the benefits that are hard to even begin to quantify are really hard to really point at. Like actually joking around with a buddy of mine the other day, he rolls his ankles all the time. He just has bad ankles. I'm like, man, I thought I had bad ankles for a while. Then I lost a bunch of weight and realized it wasn't bad ankles. It was too much PSI on one joint. <laughs> so yeah just little thing that's amazing and has the carnivore diet evolved for you personally like have you changed how you do it i have um i think when i started into the carnivore diet i overate a little bit so you know that's one of the common misconceptions with carnivores like oh you can eat what you want it's like well kind of but let's not be a glutton you know and one of the things people don't do a lot of is eating enough fat because fat is what's going to trigger your satiety. So 
you know, I've, I've moderated my fat uh, to a much higher level. So or usually, excuse me, accelerated my fat to a higher level. Um, that keeps me satiated longer. It minimizes cravings. Uh, I avoid most sugar as much as possible. Um, do a version of like the paleo ketogenic diet at times. Um, but, you know, when you're on the road all the time, you can only do so much. Uh, but what's been interesting for me is learning to listen to my body, how it responds to different foods, add or subtract diet items, uh, and just be smarter about what I'm consuming. Uh, and that's allowed me to not be so dependent on food, which has been great. That's awesome. Yeah, that kind of freedom is incredible. Um, and it sounds like you've you've taken a really smart approach and made it something that you can do longer term, which is why you've been able to lose so much weight, which is awesome. Yeah, well, and it's more that it's changed. It's changed my relationship with food, and and I'm happy to admit. I mean, in looking back in time, I have had a poor relationship with food for a really long time, and that's nobody's fault but my own. I mean, there was nobody with a gun to my head telling me to make bad decisions. Um, but you know, we've got our girls, and I'm very cognizant of how they think about food now because, uh, you know, growing up. If you had a bad day, have some food. If you had a good day, have some food. Like food was just a natural response and it shouldn't be. Um, food's great. I'm a, I consider myself a foodie. I love food experiences, uh, but you can do that in an intelligent way. And that was something that I had to really learn um, more so than anything. Yeah, well, I mean, you're in an aw awesome position now to raise them. Um, with that mindset and, and I'm sure they're very lucky to have you. I like to think so. Um, you know, I think when I have two that are both, you know, 13 to 15, I think, uh, maybe I'll come visit you. It'll be no problem. I'll just come hang out for like two or three years, <laughs> but, uh, wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, you're always welcome. <laughs> and, um, how, um, How's the business been? How's Colorado craft beef been? Uh, again, we can't complain. Uh, we're continuing to grow. The carnivore community is kind of one of our marketing cornerstones. We hang out a lot in that box and, and love to do it. Actually, I was with Dr. Baker just a couple of weeks ago. I was up at his house in, in Seattle and recorded a podcast with him. So, you know, as a group, this is one of the most uplifting groups we've seen. And we just love being a part of the carnivore group. Uh, but within the business, you know, we've got some other strategic partnerships. Just last year, we started working with Elements. I know they're one of one of your maybe current sponsors. I know they've worked with you in the past. Yep. Uh, so actually, I've got, I've got Element watermelon right here. So it's my favorite flavor. His, you know, the raspberry is legit, but they did a release this summer that was grapefruit. That was that was a game changer. That grapefruit was amazing. I don't think I've tried that one yet, but yeah, I really like the raspberry, but watermelon's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, working with Element, working in the jujitsu community, I do a lot of jujitsu now. As I've gotten healthier, I've started awesome. some of that. Yeah. So in that group, you end up running into people that are trying to eat healthy and, you know, they want to be supportive. And so a bunch of guys at my gym buy beef and that's all in Denver. So they all talk to their friends and uh, through that, you know, we're, Gosh, this year we're probably going to be 10 times the size we were in 2018. So, wow. Uh, we've been blessed. 
we're happy to continue to provide the same quality of product. And uh, most recently, our newest vertical integration piece, uh, we just secured a feed yard of our own. So, Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, so the craft finishing side has been done for us by a gentleman that owns the feed yard. And uh, he recently wanted to kind of move in a different direction with some other business stuff he was doing. Uh, so we're actually just taking over operations of the feed yard we've been utilizing for the last few years. So we had a pretty tight level of control on it. And now uh, we've got total control on it. And uh, just one more step in the chain that when people have questions, you know, we have literally all the answers. Yeah, that's really interesting and unique. And I think um, one topic I wanted to talk about today is kind of like differences you see between your approach and other online meat companies um, and maybe like some practices you don't necessarily agree with. Um, and, and I think you owning owning more of the supply chain, but not only that, parts that you don't own, you like can answer all the questions about and you, to your point, can control um, and, and have full transparency into, I think that's, that's probably one of them. Um, but I want to get back to that. Um, before that, I wanted to talk about cattle prices <laughs> and, um, the raising costs of beef. Um, can you give us some insight there over like what's been happening in the last year or so? This episode is brought to you by Bioptimizers and their amazing magnesium breakthrough formula for stress relief and better sleep on a carnivore diet. Try it yourself at www.magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash carnivorecasts and use code carnivore10 to save and help support the show. For August, they've prepared a special offer for our listeners. You'll be able to buy magnesium and get free bottles of the full line of digestive health products, including Mastzymes, patented probiotics, and more. Check them out at magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash carnivorecast and remember to use carnivore 10. Thank you. This is not a isolated phenomenon. Like the cattle market, much like every commodity market, if it's steel or something else, has natural peaks and valleys. Um, especially in the ag industry, anything we produce, uh, farmers are really good at overproducing at high prices, which then drives the prices down and resets the cycle. So corn prices right now are at a record high, and they're going to have a huge corn harvest that's starting in about three weeks nationwide. And based on those numbers, it's probably going to drive the price down to some degree. Uh, but the Ukraine and Russia thing is probably going to keep those prices relatively high for a little while. With cattle in particular, what we have going on right now is, uh, one, as an industry for the last 50 years, uh, carcass sizes at the harvest facilities have been going up. So you're having, you know, 5% increase or 5 pound increase per year on steer carcasses over a couple decades. That ends up being a pretty big difference. So you're starting to see that impact the market. So you're starting to see different things happen like that. You're also starting to see liquidation of cows. So when you have drought conditions like we've had on the West Coast for the last couple of years, or you've got uh, issues like they had with COVID, where you needed, you had to move cattle, you couldn't, you couldn't sustain your numbers. It's really hard to buy those cattle back. Um, a lot of times, you need to raise the mother cows to replace the mother cows that had to be culled, or something along those lines. So what we're heading into right now is we've had this large demand since COVID 
Um, so beef demand during COVID went way up. Beef demand in general, and, and by beef demand, I don't mean the general demand for beef. I mean high quality beef to your home. Because, you know, a lot of us pre-COVID, myself not included, but a lot of people live in, in the city, went out for dinner a lot. And you had that steak at a restaurant. Well, with COVID, the lockdowns, everything else, I, I know that smokers, grills, all those home cooking devices were backordered for months because now you're locked at home, you got to figure it out. So now people have been reignited to how much food they want to cook at home and they, they make a better steak at home because they had to relearn some of that. So that's changed some of the demand. So the demand for high quality beef is getting more and more prevalent. People are getting more and more picky. Um, that's driving some of the direct marketing higher. But the cattle market in and of itself, for the last couple of years with the drought, we have cold cattle. We've moved them out of certain areas like California has been two months off of what they usually can produce based on lack of rain. Uh, Montana last year was really bad. So some of the cow-calf areas get hammered with drought. They end up decreasing cow numbers to decrease stocking rates as a range management tool. Well, you can't just turn that back on overnight. And as the demand stays strong, we end up figuring out that we actually have a limited capacity. So what's happening is we're going to get to that point, and then here in about 12 to 24 months, mother cow prices are going to be to the moon, and then everybody's going to buy them, they're going to overproduce, and then we're going to fall again. So, you know, beef prices are probably going to be materially unchanged for the next 12 to 24 months. We're probably near the high, especially on the retail side. Uh, the nice thing is, and let me clarify, I don't think it's good that four companies control 85% of the market. I'm going to state that. But the nice thing is those four companies are so sophisticated, they know the cap of a level they can charge for a certain cut. They won't raise the prices so far that people start buying pork instead of beef. So they will control those economics to a degree to try to moderate demand. Uh, I think we'll be in an okay position. Uh, the general rule right now is, or the general market concern in the cattle industry is a lot of the times either the producer or the packer has this huge amount of margin. Very seldom is it in the middle. Uh, so right now we're in that transition of all the margin moving back to the producer. And then as that changes and the packers start to lose money, they're going to start to throttle their prices, which is going to drive prices down for us, which will then shift margin back to them. And then the cycle starts over again. That's really interesting. Um, so we've seen this kind of like dynamic happen before in cycles. Uh, in 2012, there was a nasty drought and the high of the market in that decade was 2014. Wow. Interesting. It's crazy how, <laughs> how cyclical these things are. And yeah. do you think you, you touched on it there a bit, but do you think um, like COVID has permanently changed like e-commerce for beef? Um, do you think those trends will kind of persist? Permanently, I think is a stretch because we, the consuming public of the United States, are blessed to live where we do. Therefore, we can have a pretty short memory. Um, I think the e-commerce side of it will persist because of the quality things I was talking about. You know, if if 
somebody is going to have a party at their house and they have a smoker, man, they're not just going to go to the butcher shop anymore. They're going to order from somebody like us. You know, hey, I, I just got a call from a guy last week. He's in California. He's like, hey, we're doing a party in about a month. I need 30 pounds of tri-tips. I said, yeah, I can make that happen. No problem. Well, they're planning ahead for that because they want to know and they want to tell the story of the meat they're preparing. Uh, I think that is going to keep the e-commerce side as healthy as anything. Uh, but I think the general consumer has already started to go back to the grocery store for convenience. Um, and also, I think there's some players in our industry, in the beef industry, that maybe talk about having high quality products and don't, which has turned off some consumers. Um, so the number of consumers that we work with that are like, oh, wow, we love your product. We're never going anywhere else. Fortunately for us, has been a big number. But some of that comes from they have had a bad experience with another direct-to-consumer company, uh, whether it's a rancher-based company or a meat company, like we mentioned earlier, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, those bad experiences drive people back to the grocery store because it's a known, because they're looking at it when they buy it. Um, so I think that's the bigger issue we've got is how to, well, the market's going to, I guess, moderate itself with regard to people in my business having bad products and charging a premium. We just have to hope that the newcomers into the market will try out a few different customers or a few different producers before they find what they like or decide not to engage. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, what about shipping systems? How, how have those changed or what's going on with that? Well, uh, the shipping companies, uh, for all the headaches they've caused me, I, I will have to give it to them. Uh, and I know other, other podcasts, we've talked about how bad it was. Uh, I mean, you know, we had a 6% loss rate during COVID. Uh, I mean, it was, it was well into the tens of thousands of dollars that were just pissed away because the shipping companies didn't back them up. And, oh, it was rough. And then they would ask if you want to donate to their green initiative. I'm like, how about you don't waste cows and we'll consider it a win. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they have reinvested. They've fixed some of their value chains. They're building new facilities just as fast as they can. And we've seen that drop from 6% to sub 1% in 18 months. Uh, so wow. you know, use FedEx and good for, they, they have really stepped up. Um, and in being graceful for them, man, if we had to move a few million boxes a day, we'd probably have an error or two as well. So, uh, but from what I understand and talking to some of the people I know in the industry is some of the e-commerce requirements are starting to soften. So a lot of the, a lot of people just went full retail buying during COVID. Um, and a lot of that was the movement of their capital. You know, if somebody makes, 50,000 a year, they have X amount of money that they're going to spend on entertainment. Well, during COVID, that entertainment was buying things to send to your house because you couldn't leave. So it was online shopping, et cetera, because you couldn't go to concerts, you couldn't go to other venues and spend that money, but people spent that money elsewhere. Now that things are open back up, now that people are going on vacations again, the amount of money they use to buy things online and drive that e-commerce market is back to normal 
And luckily, the shipping companies have built in a bit of a buffer, so they've been able to capture some of that. That does not that does not forget the fact that their rates are up forty percent in the last two years. Got it. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much the global economy has adapted to like everything that changed with COVID, and um, it's good to hear that the shipping systems are kind of trying starting to catch up. That's really encouraging. Well, the good news for that is it's going to allow people to expand because to some degree, you know, we never got to a point that we were shutting off regions. But I do know that there were certain facilities in the FedEx system that would, if we were going through them, man, I would watch in those packages because certain hubs were just backed up. They wouldn't get things out the door. Uh, and they were so overloaded that any sort of weather event or any sort of uh, disruption was like two weeks to get it moved off the line. So we had areas, you know, if you have a heat wave or a wildfire in Western Colorado two years ago, you had to wait two weeks until after that event was over to even begin to hope you could get out on time. Uh, luckily, they've expanded enough that we don't have near those constraints that we did. Uh, but we do watch the national weather monitor pretty tightly to make sure we aren't shipping into a storm. Cool. Um, and I guess I want to get back to the topic I, I brought up previously, which is, you know, what are maybe some things you disagree with with other direct um, to consumer meat companies um, both things that you think are just like flat out wrong, like you said, of having a much lower quality product than they say they do, and things that you think are like kind of borderline, but you know, fly below your your personal level of integrity. Um, would love to hear you just elaborate on on that a lot. Yeah, well, so I think there's there's two types, three types of online meat retailers in the beef space. Uh, there's folks like us that are ranchers, that are producers, that drive product to the customer literally from our front door. So I'm sitting in my office, the walk-in freezer that all our beef is stored in is through two walls that direction, uh, all in the same building. Uh, we're certified like a retail grocery store. We're health department inspected, all the craziness. Um, but I'm also sitting on a cattle ranch, and if I threw a baseball really far that direction, I would hit a cattle pasture. Uh, so you have the direct-to-consumer ranchers that are truly running the whole system. Uh, people like that is like Five Mary's Farms in California. Um, there, and there's a bunch of them all over. Um, there's some that are really in every part of the country, and some of those are the bison producers as well. Then you have this group of people that talk about being ranchers. There are conglomerates that talk about, oh, our ranchers are this, our ranchers are that. And they could be correct. It's hard to tell because it's not really transparent. But a lot of times what you found is somebody, I, I'm thinking of one in Colorado right now, they say our Colorado ranchers, but you can learn nothing about the ranches. They say all the beef comes from Colorado, but you can do that and still buy beef from JBS. 
because JBS has a kill plant in Colorado. You can buy primal from them. You can buy retail stuff from them that have a white label. So you don't really know the transparency. So those, I would say, are, they're trying to tell the story. But man, if you can't read the story and understand it, or I, I don't know if they're being truthful. I know for a fact that some of them are playing in the gray area just to try to get that rancher feel, and they aren't ranchers. And I'm not not judging that, by the way. What I'm saying is they're not being transparent with customers, and I have a problem with that. Um, and then you have other companies that import meat from out of, out of the country, uh, try to make it sound good, and send it out under pretenses that if you really dig on their website, you can figure it out. Uh, I'm thinking of a company right now. They're on the West Coast. Uh, I can tell you offline if you want to know who they are. And occasionally, because uh, you know we have, a meat, we have a beef company, we ship nationally. When I see somebody shipping from a region, I'm like, huh, how do they do that? I will buy product from them, have them ship it to my house, so I can look at the packaging. I can see how they shipped it. I can look at their internal protocols. Uh, you know, what kind of automation are they using? What should I be doing? I think it's a great exercise. And also when yeah, they have for such a low price. Yeah, well, for a low price point like this group out of, out of California, they're based out of San Diego. And it was like, buy $150 worth of stuff, get a free tomahawk. I was like, man, what's the worst that could happen? I'll give it a shot. So I ordered it. And then for you know, another small nominal amount will add eight boneless ribeyes. I was like, okay. Well, when I got the packages and, and I did some research on the company and kind of went backwards to their website to figure out where they came from. I was like, wait a minute. This is a beef company that's actually out of Mexico. They use a San Diego address. Interesting. And if you look at their website, it says they process at a USDA facility. They don't say where that USDA facility is. Well, it turns out as a USDA meat inspected facility in Mexico. Like all the beef is harvested in Mexico, processed wow. in San Diego. And they're representing it as US beef. And to a degree, one should expect if the price is that low, <laughs> there's a reason they're able to sell it for that price. Uh, but they're definitely playing, I wouldn't even call it gray in that aspect. They're just outright not talking about things in the effort to get you with price. Um, and that's just business. It is what it is. The meat was okay. Some of the steaks were decent. Some of the steaks were tough. Um, but for the price point, it was still a ribeye, right? So it's interesting to watch the games that are played in the industry. And one of the things I think that drives customers like our customers at Colorado Craft Beef is they want to support Americans. They want to support ranchers. They want to support a family. And quite frankly, a lot of the direct-to-consumer opportunities that pop up online, which, mind you, we haven't advertised on Facebook or Instagram in probably two years because we get diluted so quickly. Because we don't can we don't continually pump money into the machine. So if we're competing against some of these other, you know, purveyor, meat purveyors, not ranchers, 
we just cannot get enough money out there to even begin to compete. So it doesn't show any benefit for us. So I guess my word of caution is if you're finding people because they're advertising on Facebook in the meat space, man, that's a tough market. Just understand the story, understand the background. Um, and then I guess I will give a shout out. There is one big meat company in the country that actually have a ton of respect for what they're doing. It's crowd cow. Uh, you know, those guys, when they send out steak, it tells you the ranch it came from. I think what their model was, um, Ethan and his team up there, I've talked to them on the phone a couple of times. Their model was how do we get ranchers to market that maybe couldn't figure it out themselves. And they put together a software platform. They own the fact that they are not ranchers. They're just trying to make a, make a bridge between the two. And I really applaud those guys for that because they did it with the amount of integrity I think you should, um, while still allowing the rancher to get some exposure and getting meat to good consumers. Yeah, it's a really cool business. I, I, I've always thought CrowdCow was was really interesting. It's like more of a tech tech or logistics business. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool that they provide that transparency. And I think, you know, Jeff, like you said, people buy for you, from you for those reasons, but also, you know, they respect your authenticity. Um, I definitely do. And, and, and your integrity, um, like it's just so easy to see, um, like how deeply passionate you are and your family is about ranching and about, um, like providing really high quality U S beef, um, and so that definitely comes through. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, we've spent a lot of time on that. And, you know, quite frankly, there's corners that can be cut in this market to make more money. And I don't fault anybody for doing that because that's just capitalism. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I got to look in the mirror. And I've gotten to know a ton of our customers just because, and we've had some customers that subscribe for two and a half years. And we just launched subscriptions two and a half years ago. Like our first three subscribers when we launched subscriptions during COVID are still active. Wow. They've never, they've never missed the delivery. I mean, I got an email from one of them about six months ago and I misread the email. I said, oh, I'm really sorry you're canceling your subscription. Uh, would you mind telling me you know, why? And he said, oh, no, reread the email. I actually need to double the quantity. I was like, oh, <laughs> my mistake. <laughs> Let me go adjust that. So, you know, it's, we get a connection to those people. And when you have people that are like, hey, my, my kids just love your meat, love the steak. They love, you know, seeing the pictures. Like, it, it's so much more than just money for us. It's, it's a connection to our customers. It's connecting people to agriculture. Because, I mean, honestly, Scott, if every one of your listeners said, I'm only eating Colorado craft beef from now on, we couldn't sustain that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I applaud other producers. I applaud people that find the, the type of meat buying experience that fits their budget. I don't, I don't judge anybody, you know, do what you got to do. You know, the meat in the Walmart grocery case is safe. It's nutritious. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, we have an ability to do some things that other people in the industry just can't whether it's aging or how we feed. Uh, and we're proud of what we can do, but that in no way diminishes the quality of the rest of the American beef chain. 
Yeah, I, I think I think the name is perfect. I think craft is just such a great way to describe what you're doing um, with beef. Um, well, thank you again, Jeff. I really, really appreciate you coming on. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, and I'm so glad to hear that both you, your family, and the business are doing well. Um, I'll have links to Colorado Craft um, in the show notes. And I believe my code is CCAST, all, all uppercase. So if folks want to use that to help support the show the show and save a little bit at checkout um please do so yeah and uh your box uh for uh your reload before the fall is going out on monday awesome thank you <laughs> can't wait for that all right thanks a lot thanks jeff if you enjoy the show please consider supporting the carnivore cast on patreon by becoming a patron You'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at carnivorecast or go to carnivorecast.com. You can also email me at info at carnivorecast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.